Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ohio Agronomy Roundup. I'm your host, Bushel Billy, and today, August 13th, we are traveling to the western end of the Corn Belt to Huxley, Iowa, to visit with Brent Schwinnaker, uh, who has firsthand witness of the De Rachio storms that, that wrecked that part of the Corn Belt this week. Brent, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bill. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's great to uh, expand our network out to the east here a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we're going to jump into the weather event here in just a moment, but take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners that aren't familiar with who you are and what you do. Yeah, Bill. So my name is Brent Schwinnaker, and I manage the uh, Learning Center here at Huxley, Iowa, and I've been I've been with the company here uh, going on this fall, be 25 years. And so I started out in our soybean breeding business back in college and then just kind of worked through technology development and uh, into our what used to be called our IFS program. So if you remember field scripts back in the day, uh, mm-hmm. I ventured into that and then got asked to manage the learning center here about six, seven years ago. So uh you know, it's been been a wild ride here for 25 years, and, and I think if 2020 proves anything, uh, you just can't take anything for granted, and you don't know what's coming around the corner. So <laughs> That is for sure. So uh, describe for us uh, the storms that went through eastern Iowa on Monday evening. Yeah, so it, it wasn't really eastern Iowa. It, it pretty much spanned uh, the whole – uh, across the whole state. Uh, it really picked up steam uh, probably in the western third of Iowa in the oh, Carroll County area, and that's where it really started to pick up steam. Uh, and that, that would be west central, midwest central Iowa. And then it pretty much ho- followed I 80 and Highway 30 all the way uh, across the state. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, and if, if I don't know, I had to look up what a what a derecho is. Uh, and so I, I personally never seen one. Uh, I went back and researched the 1998 one and it started in North, uh, Northeast Iowa and headed your way. But this one started in South Dakota, Nebraska area and worked its way and picked up steam across Iowa and, and eventually ended up all the way across into your territory. Um, you know, but I had to look up the definition and, and national weather service calls this, uh, basically, uh, anything that sustains above 60 mile an hour winds for the duration of the storm for at least six hours. Um, and, and I can tell you that this this wasn't an ordinary, you know, the day started off like any other Monday. You know, you're putting out fires and, and catching up on things. And you get the notifications on your phone that you, there's uh, severe thunderstorm warnings. And so I've got multiple notifications from whether it be the learning center or where I farm uh, personally. And so I jumped on my radar and my first indication was should have been, I didn't think too much of it at the time was how come they are issuing severe thunderstorm warnings when the storm is two counties away. Uh, and that, that should have been wow. my first indication yeah. that this was going to be going to be a wild ride. And I, you know, at the time I didn't think much of it, but you know, you typically, you know, we've all been through those, you know, you don't think much of a severe thunderstorm warning anymore, right? I mean, that's typically when you head to the window and head to the deck and, and see what's going to happen, right? Well, and that's pretty much what we were doing. And, and it was pretty, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't take long to realize that this wasn't going to be a normal one because 
typically you get that that bow echo that comes through first and you get that sudden burst of wind and then over a minute or two it dies off well it this was this those you know and it was recorded at 80 to 90 mile an hour winds and in some places over 100 to 110 uh this was sustained wind for at least 15 to 20 minutes and i've heard people say 30 and you you tend to you think in a lot of people on the outskirts you you know tend to think you're over exaggerating but it, it was for sure 15 to 20 minutes of high wind wow well i have heard it described equivalent to a land hurricane yep and certainly the first hand photos we've seen circulated on social media the satellite imagery that is now coming available to us it looks like a hurricane landed in the middle of Iowa yeah. and took off. Yeah, and that and they I've heard other meteorologists say that this was equivalent to like a category two almost, I think, in some you know, in certain the certain pockets where it was heaviest, it was could have been classified like a category two hurricane. Uh and man, I, I believe it. It was and I, I easily told my crew that this was by far the the worst storm that I've sat through. And I, I just happened to say that as the roof of our gazebo where we host a lot of our field days flew through the window. So, Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, we're glad that, that you and your team are all right. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's talk crops a little bit and start with soybeans. Uh, how did the soybeans, whether the storm was a pod loss bloom shed and how do you expect them to finish out the growing season? Yeah, soybeans, you know, there wasn't a lot of hail with with this uh, other than you don't know if it was a little bit of hail or debris or just everything that was flying through. Uh, but they they handled it like a typical August thunderstorm. Uh, they kind of got lazy on top a little bit uh, and got that kind of August laziness to them. Now, let me set the stage here a little bit for the, the group out east. So we are also in the middle, the western half of our states in the, in the middle of an extreme drought. The eastern part is slight drought conditions. So overall soybean plant growth is lower than normal. So you don't see the twisting up and laziness like you normally would because the plant heights just aren't what they, what they should be. Now, um, finishing out here, they, they, the next morning, they look like a whole different crop. They, they stood right back up and, and, uh, they, they took the, they took it on the chin and, and bounced right back. So I anticipate barring, you know, as long as we don't get too many, you know, other curveballs here in 2020, I anticipate a normal finish to the soybeans. Now this storm also did kind of accelerate some of the things that, Maybe we the pockets of SDS and other diseases that that just kind of brought themselves to light a little bit sooner than what they normally would. So with the the stress of of the storm, the drought stress that you're under, uh, do you anticipate seeing seeing some of these late season diseases like SDS really start to take off now? Just because the plant got roughed up a little bit and is trying to recover from the weather events, both the drought yeah. and the storm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I certainly think they're going to be I think it's just more because it's just visible. Right. And the plant got stressed. Uh, I don't expect it to be any worse than what it was going to be. I just think it's we're just getting a better look at it now uh, than than what we would have prior to prior to the storm. So, you know, and whether that's, you know, soybean cyst nematode pressure, whether it's SDS, 
whether it's just drought stress in general, uh, all those stresses just, you know, once we knock a few leaves off, it just looks, looks worse now than what it did the day before. So all of that said, you're still pretty confident these soybeans are rugged enough that Iowa and the growers in your area will land a, an average soybean yield this year? I don't know. I don't know if I want to venture out on the normal uh, limb on that tree, just mainly because of the drought conditions. I think they will finish out the way they were going to finish out, but normal is not normal before the derecho. So <laughs> with all the drought conditions and uh, just continued heat stress, uh, I, I think we were, we were going to be lucky to hit normal to begin with. And then the storm hit. So I think, I think normal is, you know, I think there's certainly going to be some guys that caught some rains that are certainly going to see an above normal crop, but I think there's going to be more people that are probably staring at a below normal crop. Okay. Okay. Now, the headlines for the last 48 hours uh, has been the corn. Obviously, when we think of Iowa, it's a big producer in the corn complex across the United States. The pictures that are being shared around are terrifying. Just yep. what is the extent of the damage to the corn crop uh, in your area? Yeah, um, it, you know, and the pictures that are being shared around are, are legit, right? And they, you know, you've got, you know, multiple towns with, with co-ops and big bins that are collapsed. And, uh, you know, it, those, those are legit. You know, I, I, I can drive through four towns in, in a stretch on one highway in about 10 minutes and they don't have a grain bin left. Wow. Uh, so you can about imagine the corn, what, what it looks like now. I've seen a little bit of everything. I've seen corn that's just laying uh, flat. I've seen corn that snapped. Uh, and then a little bit that's, half standing up and half laying down, you know, so it's, it is just all over uh, the spectrum. Now in, in that, those satellite images where you can see, you know, the better part of what, what they're estimating is 10 million acres. Now, if we consider that to be 60%, you know, 60% corn, then you're thinking probably, uh, you know, upwards of, of 6 million acres of corn there in that picture that are affected. The question is, how are we going to finish out? I don't think this is going to pop back up. I think we're past the time in the year where we normally would say, wait a couple of days, it'll, it'll bend back upwards. I think we're in the plant growth stages where we're focused on putting that grain fill in and not leaf growth. The vegetative, vegetative stages are over. We're focusing on ear fill and that plant is probably going to stay there and just utilize the nutrients it's still getting and still try and put on the ear laying down. So obviously the plant uh, senses that something went wrong. It's under a yep. tremendous amount of stress. It's in, uh, what would you call it? R3, R4 yeah. at this point? Yeah, it, yeah it, it's probably a, a range of, of that. And, uh, and I, I would say that would catch a majority of it right now. Yeah. So what's the stress response going to be to, to this storm? You know, obviously the snap corn is, is done. That's the end yep. of its story. Yep. The rest yep. of it, what's the stress response going to be, uh, to the, to getting shoved over and, and the storm damage at this point? Well, I think anything's possible at this point. Uh, I think, I think you just opened up your plant for more, uh, more disease. Uh, the ears are certainly going to be, 
susceptible to not shedding off that moisture like they normally would if that ear is laying flat instead of upright or down later in the season i think that ear is going to have a hard time uh drying down i think you're going to have ear molds that'll probably be a problem harvestability is going to be a big problem i think it's going to depend on each grower on you know how how efficient they want to be on, on trying to get every every bushel uh you know so i i think i think it's it's all a possibility and and i think I think I wouldn't be surprised to see any or all of that in any given field. So let's unpack that a little bit. When we've got a hundred acre field of corn and they're laid over on top of each other instead of standing up in rows, how does that affect the grain fill? We've got approximately 30 days left as, as we're talking today, left in yep. grain fill. When, that, yep. when those corn plants lay on top of each other, how is that going to affect grain fill uh, up until physiological maturity? Well, I, I think it depends on a, a number of things, right, Bill? So we've got, depending upon how, how laid over it is, are we still getting nutrients up through the plant or not? Um, like you said, the snap stuff uh, is done. That, that's probably not going to make it because it's certainly snapped below, below the ear. Uh, so that, that's written off. But I've seen a lot of this where it's just laying over and, and it, it's certainly still grabbing some moisture and nutrients uh, from the roots uh, up through the up through the plant. So uh, it, it still can fill out. I don't think it's going to be as efficient as what we would normally expect. Right. So I think uh, it's certainly not going to flow those nutrients like it normally would. And I think, you know, grain fill, uh, kernel depth, all that is going to be variable depending upon hybrid, depending upon field, uh, every variable uh, is going to play into that, you know, and, and whether, you know, even how it's laid over is going to be a, a variable in that. Did it lay straight over with the row, against the row? Is it tangled up? You know, it, you know, it, it just, I, I don't know, Bill. I wish there was a straight answer on all that. <laughs> Ex expect, expect it not to be ideal. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I think that's the motto for the year, isn't it? Well, yeah, it seems to be. It yeah. seems to be. Now, you had mentioned ear molds, and mm -hmm. one of the biggest fears and frustrations of any producer is the presence of toxins in the grain. So yep. we've got the ears down close to the ground. It's very wet, very humid, very little air circulation. Um, are we now at an elevated risk of developing toxins in the grain? And, you know, despite the fact we no longer have as many places to deliver our grain, we're, we're running short on places to store our grain. Now are we going to be battling toxins in the grain as well? Yeah, I think it's certainly a possibility, but at this point, I don't think it's the largest concern on our minds at this point. Okay. Uh, I think the bigger concern is, can we even get it picked up off the ground to even get it to a storage, get it to market? Um, how bad are you going to fight, you know, running your corn head on the ground to pick it up? I, and I think, I think that's some of the bigger, bigger questions. Uh, and especially in the higher impact, like the, that, that satellite imagery, that, I mean, that main, that stuff is flat, you know, and then, then you've got another probably 50 miles outside of that that's just variable. So you've got flat, okay. you've got some standing up. So you're going to have variable. And there may be air molds in that, but it may be a lower level since you might have some good grain 
with some molds. Um, so it, it's just, it's going to be all over the board. I, I have a feeling so, but I think the bigger concern right now ultimately is how do we get this crop picked up? Is it going to be worth picking it up or do we just say, do we venture into the, we tried to pick it up, collect our wind insurance and uh, revenue protection and worry about volunteer corn next year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of method in next year. Yeah. So uh, speaking of heart, as we think about harvestability and we've got producers right in the middle of this thing where it's all, all down. We've got yep. producers on the outskirts or with a broader footprint that have variable levels of damage from, from good standing corn to leaning to flat. Do you have any, any thoughts on how to prioritize harvest? Do you get the standing fields because it's fast and efficient, come back and fight the down corn, or is there an urgency to get this down corn off the ground and get those ears away from the dirt, even though it's going to take three or four times longer to get it done? Uh, any insight on how we prioritize harvest at this point, depending on the wind damage? Yeah, I think, I think just put my grower hat on and I'm going to go, I'm going to go get the acres that are going to be easy to get first. Um, maybe, maybe sprinkle in some that has some of the variable damage. You know, if, if they're at risk of stock quality issues here down the road and, 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 and as that plant starts to dry down and put even more emphasis and it starts to cannibalize that stock into filling that grain, then you may worry about your, um, some of that stuff that's variable and, and maybe half standing to three, four standing, then I'm going to go get that stuff before it completely cannibalizes. And then it's just going to take any minor event to knock it over completely. So mm -hmm. uh, certainly watch out for stock cannibalization there with an already damaged stock. Uh, that's, that's going to be a next concern there. And then just get the, get the bushels that you can uh, hopefully get a harvest rally. Hopefully the market will catch up to, the overall extent of this damage. I don't think it's going to be on today's report, but it'll certainly hopefully be down the road here. Hopefully whenever we start getting this crop out of the field. Okay. Now you had mentioned something briefly earlier on um, about how hard are you going to fight down corn? And I, I want to take a safety pause here because this is a scenario where growers get hurt. Yeah. Right. So, yep. I, you know, for those listening, you know, uh, pause for a moment and, and listen, because, you know, we may be used to going out and running a combine for 16 hours in a day, no problem. When you're mm -hmm. shelling down corn, uh, operator fatigue sits in so much quicker. I would say maybe as quick as four hours of fighting down corn and trying to scoop it up, watching your profit flip over the edge, watching your, watching your profit get sucked underneath. You get tired and frustrated, and that that's when you start uh, thinking about poor decisions that put somebody's safety at risk. And yeah. there's going to be yeah. the attempt to ha having people walking along the combine with pitchforks, people getting irritated because you're plugging up several times a pass. Yeah. And so I really encourage uh, growers to, to rotate operators if you can. If you can't rotate <laughs> operators, you know, drive the truck into town, take a break, get away, <laughs> get away from it. Because as bad as 2020 has been, can you imagine sitting down to Thanksgiving with 100000 in medical bills and an empty seat because somebody in your operation was injured or killed from a header accident fighting down corn? 
Yeah. And and just because they wanted to push two corn stalks back into the head, right? Right. You know, that, you know, that those two corn stalks aren't worth it. That's stuck up on the head to, to be reaching in and doing that. So it's, it's a good point, Bill. It takes 700 bushel of corn just to replace a snout on that, on that corn head. Right. Yeah. You can't yeah. replace an employee. You can't replace your leg if you get tired and frustrated and start making poor decisions. So we mm-hmm. really don't want to make a bad situation worse by having growers get frustrated and spend too much time in the cab and start making bad decisions. Yeah. No, good point. So um, any other uh, thoughts on uh, what may like, well, we don't want to predict what 2020 has got left for us, but given, given the state of Iowa's corn and soybean complex today, any other thoughts as, as we approach uh, maturity in September and get harvest started? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that kind of in a nutshell just kind of wraps up what this year has been like, right? I mean, we the, the crazy thing is, as crazy of a year as it's been, we probably got the best start and the best jump on planting season that, that we ever have. Some of the best conditions, uh, good early season moisture, got the crop out of the ground, got it going. Our crop protection systems and the Bayer Plus system was working great. Uh, and then we ran out of rain in the western half. Uh, we caught a lot of high-velocity winds and pockets on eastern Iowa, and that was even before this last one. But then, then the derecho kind of finished her off here now. Um, so let's let's just keep our fingers crossed. Maybe we have an, a normal uh, August and September. Um, I you know I think the corn that is is up, like you said, I think well you know some of that early planted stuff is only probably 750 heat units away from black layer. Okay. Uh, so give or take, if some of your late season corn might be 900 away from black layer. So it's not going to take much to get us there now. Um, it's just, what is that stock damaged enough to uh, integrity wise? How long can it stay out there? How fast do we need to get it? Do we need to be thinking about uh, getting out some wet corn uh, a lot of, lot of factors going in there. What's the market like? Do we have a place to take it? A uh, number of things. So it, it, uh, it's all over the board, but that, Hey, that's why we do it. Right. Sure. Sure. Now to end on a, on a lighter note, we'll end the podcast on a lighter note. What takes a minute, a few minutes and tell us what you can offer there on your research farm and Huxley, what's available to your to Iowa growers there and also tell us a little bit about the Iowa agronomy roundup and what growers can find there. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. So we, uh, you know, we do a number of, of different things here at, at our research farm. Uh, we, we focus a lot on, uh, product, um, product characterization. So we put out a, a branded research book for us, uh, and that could be found, uh, online as well as, and that just goes through a number of different things for our, our branded, uh, decal products. And so, um, that, that may be, you know, playing a hybrid response to fungus with and without fungicide, high and low nitrogen rates, uh, you know, late season intactness, uh, plant population, uh, plant population curves, uh, then we do do a number of different um, 
kind of sustainability focused uh, research. So we're in a in a pocket here in in central Iowa where a lot of our neighbors, uh, as soon as that grain cart pulls out of the field, they are ripping the ground up. And so um, we've taken the approach and, and taken a uh, conservation tillage approach, and we've gone to strip till uh, and cover crops. And the early results on the cover crops have really been phenomenal. Now, can I show you a 20 bushel yield uh, increase on that? No, probably not. Uh, but there are... I knowing my gut though that the water holding capacity of that soil is so much better uh, in a wet fall like last year uh, when i went from farm to farm uh, with the combine uh, we were better off way better off on that farm with cover crops and that that head mm -hmm. sliding across during soybean harvest uh, because that that soil was nice and firm and could hold a lot of water so um, so we've seen great benefits from that strip till that cover crop system so well, we do a number of stuff on that uh, as well. So that's kind of been our focus. Uh, we also have our own podcast. So this is kind of weird being on the other end of the podcast because <laughs> I host the Iowa Iowa Agronomy Update. And so it's been a fun adventure here for us over the last couple of years uh, and just finding different topics to, to talk about here throughout the season. So that, that's been uh, kind of in a nutshell, kind of our, our focus there. And, and the podcast uh, is... You know, we, there's some people that jump on videos and do the virtual thing a bunch of different ways. And the podcast was one way a couple of years ago that I found to be, I, I felt a little bit more uh, resourceful. Everybody's in their pickups. Everybody's in their pickups for a half hour, uh, turn on a podcast and, and get their attention uh, over that time. So it's something that I've enjoyed doing over the last couple of years. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, certainly a great resource for Iowa farmers to take advantage of. Uh, we've been chatting with Brent Swinnaker of the Ohio Agronomy Roundup podcast and the Bear Crop Science Learning Resource Center in Huxley, Iowa. Brent, we appreciate your time and your insight on in the aftermath of Derecho 2020. Yes. yes. So we're well, going thank you much, Bill. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to wrap it up. I've been your host, Bushel Billy. This is the Ohio Agronomy Roundup. Thanks for listening.